0: Coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actress and writer Maria Lisa Caruso about her film Emerald Run, which is actually the first film she ever worked on. She co-wrote the script with her dad, but the kicker is, part of the film was already shot by the time they were brought onto the project, which makes for a really fascinating story, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, you'll be hearing my review of a film that I've waited weeks to talk about on this podcast, and that is the live-action adaptation of Sonic the Hedgehog. And I talk about growing up a Sonic fan, loving the games as a kid, my initial thoughts to the film's announcement... Of course, I talk about the initial trailer and what a disaster that was, the film's surprising success, and what I think could happen in a potential sequel. All of that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, which starts right now. So, you know, not even the con crud can keep me from doing this podcast. What is up, everybody? And welcome to this special live edition of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Diamond. And if I sound a little bit uh, under the weather, that's because I am. Uh, This past weekend was the sixth edition of Pensacon. Had a really fantastic time, but per con tradition... I got sick. Um, I started noticing it on Saturday after we did our Defending Bad Movies panel that I just started feeling really tired and my voice was starting to get a little bit scratchy but not not too terribly bad. And then Sunday, was going through, did our Nerd Cave Retro show in the morning. Then I had a couple of celeb panels in the afternoon. And I could especially tell around 5 o'clock when we did my last panel that my voice was really starting to go at that point and I'm just standing there with my fingers crossed like just hold out for one more hour but luckily there were a lot of fan questions during the last panel so I didn't have to talk that much and then missed uh two days of work this week kind of just recuperating drinking a lot of tea a lot of orange juice which I've got my um my chamomile tea, which I think is the right way to pronounce that, along with some honey and some lemon juice that has really helped out quite a bit. So I uh, went back to work today, and now I'm here doing this podcast. So um, thank you to those who are watching, Raymond Satulio, Miss Dawn, and my mother, Donna Diamond, who are currently watching. Thank you guys so much. So as far as PensaCon goes, I did record a couple of panels from uh, the weekend that you'll hear on future episodes of the show. Actually, for next week, which also happens to be episode 250, you will hear Defending Bad Movies 2, which is the sequel to last year's Defending Bad Movies. Uh, This panel was an absolute riot. I I was laughing so hard at the point that I was practically crying. And it's just a really fun concept. And we had a couple of new additions to the panel, uh, Nathan Simmons and uh, Brandon Rutledge, they were fantastic, along with Jason Robbins, Wally Phelps, and Julio Diaz, who were on the show last year, as well as this year. It was just a really fun time, and I am stoked for you guys to hear the panel. Uh, that will be on next week's show, as I said, episode 250. But for this week, I wanted to review a movie that I talked about on the Nerd Cave Retro show uh, the week after it came out. And that is a movie that I was very much looking forward to, but also very nervous about. And that is the live action Sonic the Hedgehog film. And if my mom's still in the chat, she could probably back me up on this. I was a huge Sonic fan growing up. You know, growing up, I was an only child, so video games were a very close friend of mine. And I grew up with Mario, Zelda, primarily the Nintendo franchise. And I don't exactly remember where I was introduced to Sonic, but I do remember playing it at an early age. You know, the original game came out in 91, but I played the sequel first, and then went back and played the original movie. Not the original movie, but the original game. But... Um, I just remember the game as being a lot of fun because it was so different than Mario. With Mario, is more about exploration, you know, trying to find power-ups and all that fun stuff. But with Sonic, you're just running through the course as fast as you can, trying to collect rings. Every now and then you'll go through a special stage to try and get a Chaos Emerald so on and so forth. Then you fight Robotnik at the end of the level. And I remember being a little surprised when the Sonic movie was announced because, as those who know video game movies, for the most part, they have not done all that well. Especially when you think of the Mario Brothers movie, Prince of Persia, Assassin's Creed. Those movies were not well reviewed and they didn't do that great at the box office. So I was a little nervous about Sonic the Hedgehog when it was announced. Of course, the idea of it, I'd love to see Sonic on the big screen. But I didn't quite know what to think of it. Especially when they announced it was going to be a live-action-slash-CG hybrid. And I'm not a huge fan of those movies anyway. But I figured, you know what, we'll we'll see what happens. More than likely, I will go see it at some point. But, um, yeah... In April of last year, they released the um, the first trailer, and we all know how the first trailer turned out. You know, I was just as appalled as everyone else. They show Sonic, and he looks almost too realistic. You know, he looks like if you crossed a hedgehog and a human being together, that's what you got. And it was kind of frightening in a way. And I literally said, What the F did I just watch? And I thought, okay, this is just going to be an absolute disaster. But sure enough, you know, not too long late, not too much later, the director, Jeff Fowler, comes out and says, We've heard the fan complaints. We're going to go back and change it. And we're going to have to push the movie back a little bit. But. We're going to give you guys what you want. And I remember on Twitter, there was a a little graphic with the updated release date on a sign that said February 14th, 2020, with Sonic holding the sign. You couldn't see what Sonic looked like, but you could tell he was wearing gloves. And that was something that he was not wearing in the original trailer. Now, I will say the the one highlight from the trailer the first time was Jim Carrey. And I'll get more in-depth into Jim Carrey's performance in a bit but i remember when he was cast as robotnik my thought was okay this this is this they got right because in the modern adaptation of the sonic games robotnik is a little bit goofier now backtracking a little bit to the comics and the cartoon because i had to have all things sonic at the time you know i remember getting issue two of the comic book at a grocery store when I was a kid, and I collected that comic book for years. And um, from there, watched the cartoon, actually both cartoons, because there were two different cartoons at the time. There was Sonic the Hedgehog, which was based off the comic book, and it had a darker, grittier storyline. And Robotnik was legitimately scary. He was voiced by Jim Cummings. He had this deep robotic type voice and you had glowing red eyes and then you had adventures of sonic the hedgehog which was geared more towards kids but still entertaining in its own way excuse me while i take a sip of tea but you know i i knew that with the game specifically that robotnik was more goofier and over the top, so I thought, okay, well, Jim Carrey will be a good a, a good casting choice for that. So I thought his performance in the trailer, from what I saw, I was like, okay, I can I can see this. You know, he doesn't look like robotic. He has a big mustache for human standards, but not extremely huge like in the games. So I was like, okay, well, we'll wait and see what happens. With the, um, with the redesign and everything. And then I remember I was in Nashville on vacation when they dropped the second trailer. And it was just kind of a, oh, here's the new trailer. And I was actually pleasantly surprised. You know, Sonic looked pretty much exactly like he does in the games. There's some subtle changes, but I figure with any movie adaptation, that's going to happen. And I remember the overall tone of the trailer felt very different than the original one. Like, the original trailer had Gangsta's Paradise as the song. And I was just like, "What? what are you guys doing? Like, how dumb can you be to put out something like this? But then the newer trailer, the one they released in November, felt more like the game's. It felt more fun and felt like it captured the essence of Sonic. So from there, I was like, okay, I'm for sure going to go see this movie. I was going to go see it anyway, but had they not redesigned the character, it was going to be more of a, you know, I might have a drink or two and then go watch the movie and just have, have fun with it because it was going to be absolutely terrible. But as I started seeing more about it, I thought this could actually be pretty good. We fast forward a couple of months later and I go see the movie on opening night and I was legitimately nervous about it. I was more nervous about this movie than I was with The Rise of Skywalker because in the back of my mind I'm thinking, I really want this movie to be good, but I can really see it not being very good. And much to my surprise, it turned out to be pretty pretty good. You know, it's not... And Here's the thing with the Sonic movie that makes it good. It owns... It doesn't shy away from what it's supposed to be. This isn't a Martin Scorsese cinematic work of art. This is a fun family movie that you can take your kids to see and they'll enjoy Sonic's humor. And I'll get to the character breakdowns in a second, but... You know, Kids can enjoy it, and then those who grew up with the games or the cartoon, I think, can really enjoy it. So, as I'm watching the movie unfold, from the very beginning, it starts out, and, and this is going to be spoiler territory, so for those who have not seen the movie, you'll want to turn back now, go see the movie, and then come back and either watch or listen to the podcast. From the very beginning, it starts out with a chase in San Francisco with Robotnik chasing Sonic. And it has that almost Deadpool freeze frame. Oh, I'm bet you wondering how I got here. And then it, faz- it rewinds, and then we get to see Green Hill Zone where Sonic grew up. And it even opens with the Sonic Mania theme, which you actually heard at the beginning of this podcast. But I just from the very beginning, it captured the essence of Sonic the Hedgehog. I thought Ben Schwartz did a fantastic job of voicing the character and really getting the character's essence down because the the movie itself is establishing the rivalry between Sonic and Robotnik. And I thought both characters did a or both actors I should say did a fantastic job of that. And the real highlight of this movie was Jim Carrey as Robotnik. I don't want anyone else to play Robotnik as far as live action goes except for Jim Carrey because it w- not only did he get the cheesy, over-the-top, goofy version of Robotnik down to a science, but it was full-on 90s Jim Carrey like you would see from The Mask, Liar Liar, Ace Ventura, from that era of Jim Carrey movies that was so great because he's so... You know, his facial expressions are really animated. His body language, his motions are very animated. There's a scene in the movie when he's analyzing one of Sonic's quills that he's found. And he puts on music, and he's dancing throughout his laboratory while the the quill is being analyzed. And it's classic Jim Carrey. And I laughed during that entire sequence. And from there, you know, it's it's not a very complicated movie. It's a very straightforward story. It's Sonic trying to get his rings back. Because essentially, Sonic in this movie is an alien hedgehog who runs to Earth because the echidnas, which was a nice little Easter egg, were chasing him at the beginning of the movie to try and steal his power, which they don't really emphasize what his power is like they hint that it's greater than just super speed but he's taught by his mentor longclaw who is a new character for this movie that he needs to hide so he's given this map in a bag of rings and the rings are how you assume advanced civilizations are uh, travel between worlds I've also got uh, more of the Diamond family watching. Leah Diamond, Mallory Diamond, and Dylan Acker are watching. Thank you guys so much. So, rings are how you assume advanced members of civilization travel between worlds. And you see this little Easter egg with um, a map of different worlds, and you see one that's a mushroom world, which... You could take as being a reference at the uh, Mushroom Hill Zone. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Brandon Perdue is now watching. Brandon, thank you so much for watching. You could take it as being a reference to the Mushroom Hill Zone from Sonic and Knuckles, or you can take it as a dig at Mario. Because there is a line where Sonic says, I hate mushrooms, which you could take as being a jab at Mario. So essentially, a young Sonic travels to Earth, and he's been hiding there for essentially a decade. And from there, you know, he's, he's living in the small town of Green Hills, Montana, which again was a nice little Easter egg. There are so many great Easter eggs in this movie. There's a montage of Sonic in his cave, you know, reading Flash comic books, working out, playing ping pong, And the the ping pong table is actually a road sign that says Hilltop Road, which is another nod to the Hilltop Zone from one of the Sonic games. And then from there, you know, it kind of turns into a buddy adventure with James Morrison's character. He has to take Sonic to San Francisco to get his rings back. And from there, they form a friendship. And you, you feel bad for Sonic because he doesn't have friends. Like, in his mind, he does. But... It's through watching the residents of this town grow up, but he never has any interaction with them because he has to stay in hiding. And what happens is he's playing a game of baseball by himself, and he starts running really fast, so fast that he causes this huge power outage that gets the attention of the U.S. government, and they hire Robotnik to find out the cause of it. And then shenanigans happen from there. And there are a lot of, like I said, really cool moments from, you know, the hilltop road sign that I mentioned. Um, the I'm trying to remember other locations on the map. But I know there was a, um, a Chaos Emerald on the, the corner of the map, which could play into a future sequel, which I will get to in a second. But overall, this movie was actually really, really fun. And I'm so happy that it was successful. And if I can pull up the actual numbers here. So its budget was estimated to be $85 million. And as of now, it's grossed $131 million in the U.S. And worldwide, it has grossed $272 million, which is absolutely insane. And I really hope... And I have no doubt that a sequel is going to be announced, but I'm a little surprised that it hasn't been announced yet. But the movie ends with this huge showdown between Sonic and Robotnik. Robotnik's got Sonic beat, and James Marsden's character, who has the funny nickname of Donut Lord because he plays a small-town cop who talks to donuts and likes to eat donuts. But um, anyway, Robotnik has Sonic beat, And James Marsden's character tries to help him. And, of course, Robotnik's like, well, why would you put your life on the line for this stupid alien? He doesn't belong here. And and James Marsden says the line, because he knows more about being human than you ever will. And he's my friend. And from there, Sonic wakes up and says the line, because eventually when Sonic is discovered, he's going to run and hide on the mushroom world which has no civilization, just a planet full of mushrooms. But instead, they do some trickery, and Sonic hits Robotnik's ship and uh, banishes him to the mushroom world. So from there, we think that, you know, Sonic's safe, he ends up living with Tom and his wife. Tom is James Marsden's character. And... Things seem to be all well and good, but the what got the loudest reaction to me in the theater were the two post-credit scenes. So we see Robotnik on the Mushroom World, and he's been he's been on this world for I think two to three months. He has his head shaved, and his mustache has grown out to be really huge, like in the video game. And he's lost complete grasp of reality. He's gone completely insane. And he's trying to figure out how to get home. And he, ma- he says the line, you know, limited resources, no supplies, no apparent way home, a lesser man would die here. And then he holds up this glass that has Sonic's quill in it that he used earlier. Because essentially Robotnik uses Sonic's quill To power his new ship that he's built. To be able to chase and keep up with Sonic. And he says the line, I'll be home by Christmas. So then we go through the credits. And the credits are actually really cool because it's modeled after the games. But the kicker is the mid credit scene. We see this nice wide shot of green hills. And this other ring opens. And out pops Tails. And as soon as that happened, the theater erupted. It easily got the loudest reaction of the entire movie. And you see Tails with his little tracking device. And he says, if my readings are accurate, I've found him. But I just hope I'm not too late. And then he jumps off the cliff, floats back up using his tails like a propeller, like in the games. And then flies towards the town and movie ends. So it perfectly sets up a sequel. And like I said, I'm shocked that it hasn't been announced yet, but it has to happen. I think with as much money as it's made, it's definitely exceeded expectations. It's gotten great word of mouth. It's got to happen, and I think it will happen. I don't know if it'll happen anytime soon. I think maybe... 2022 would be the absolute earliest, but I'm thinking more along the lines of 2023. Now, there's several things they could do as far as a sequel goes. If, the, if it were me, if Paramount came to me and said, hey, Derek, what would you do for Sonic the Hedgehog 2? It has to center around establishing the friendship between Sonic and Tails. I think Tails has come to Earth to warn Sonic that his homeworld, their homeworld, is being overrun by it could be Robotnik. You know, we don't know when this post credit scene took place. It could be right after the um the Robotnik scene. It could be I also think that Robotnik is going to find a Chaos Emerald on the mushroom world, and he's gonna use that to build some type of some type of dimensional portal device that allows him to get to earth or it could take him to Sonic's home world. And from there he builds. And I think he's also going to build the Badniks, like crab meat, Caterkiller coconuts, the other, you know, the classic Sonic machines from the original games will be built in Sonic two. I think Sonic two is going to be much more accurate to the games as opposed to this original movie. As I said, this movie was made to set up the rivalry between Sonic and Robotnik. And now that that's done, you can build up other things. I don't think you show Knuckles yet. Maybe you do that as a teaser for a third movie. Because you can make so many movies off of this film. You could do a trilogy easy, or you could do upwards of five movies. You know, I think, I would, for a third movie, I think you would bring in Knuckles. I think for a post-credit scene for the second movie, say, like, Sonic collects all the Chaos Emeralds, becomes Super Sonic, and defeats Robotnik. As a teaser for a third movie, you have Robotnik flying to Angel Island, which is the home of Knuckles, to get the Master Emerald. And then that's where you go for a third movie. But sticking to a sequel, I think what you do is you center around the friendship between Sonic and Tails. I don't think the two have met yet because Tails is a few years younger than Sonic. And we assume that Sonic has stayed on Earth for a decade. I don't think that Longclaw died in the first movie. Uh, Samantha Doggett is watching. Welcome. Thank you for watching. I don't think she died. I think she raised tails after Sonic was, not exiled, but ran away to Earth. And then from there, you know, Robotnik, I I think you take, some of the movies should take place on Earth, but I want to see other worlds. And I, I think each world that you saw on the map that you briefly see in the first movie, because I, if I remember correctly, there are seven worlds, and on each world is a Chaos Emerald. So Sonic and Tails use the rings to travel to, you know, you could show the Green Hill Zone, you could show Mushroom Hill, you could do Emerald Hill, you could do the Chemical Plant Zone. There, there's so many different avenues you could go down for the sequel. And I think the sequel will have a bigger budget because it was successful. Now, I'm curious as to if they bring in any other name actors, because there was a joke made in the movie about The Rock being president. Now, that was released in a, uh, in a little teaser that was posted on Twitter, and they tagged The Rock in it. So then The Rock responded by saying, you know, oh, I loved playing Sonic in college, and this was a really humbling thing for me. There are two things that I think you could do with that. It would be cool if The Rock actually was shown as president in the sequel, and you could just call him President Johnson or something like that. Or, oh, and Bill Lyons has joined. Thank you for watching, Bill. Or, and I think this would be really cool, if The Rock voiced Knuckles. Now I don't know if that will happen or if he would have the time to do it, but I could see the rock voicing Knuckles. Like I, I think that would actually be a pretty awesome thing because Knuckles is an extremely popular character. You know, Tails and Knuckles are both, you know, right right under Sonic, I think, in popularity. Luke Thompson is watching. Thank you, Luke. There's so there's so many cool things that they could do with a sequel and and I am so happy that this movie did as well as it did. And I've seen the movie twice in theaters. And if anyone who's watching has seen the movie, definitely chime in because I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Or you can write me on Facebook, Twitter, wherever the case may be. You know, I love talking about this movie because I'll be completely honest. And you can say I'm crazy in saying it, but I had more fun watching Sonic the Hedgehog than I did The Rise of Skywalker. And I know that's shocking coming from me because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but this movie absolutely surpassed my expectations. And I can't wait to watch it again. I've seen it twice in theaters, and I want to see it one more time before it it goes out of theaters, but I'm definitely going to be getting it on Blu-ray when it comes out. And I, I can't wait to see where they go with this. And it gives me hope that other video game movies will be as successful as this, because the story is quite different than the games, but they did the most important thing that they needed to do. They nailed the characters of Sonic and Robotnik, and their chemistry and their stories drive the movie. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Daniel Venn has started watching. Welcome, Daniel. He's actually going on a cruise starting tomorrow, which I'm quite jealous of. But yeah, that's my overall thoughts on the Sonic movie. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I would give it a solid 7. It's absolutely better than it had any right to be. It was fun. It was funny. It was charming and it's something that the fam- the whole family can go watch. Like I said earlier, kids will love it because of the humor and they definitely nailed down the humor aspect of it. And those who those who watched the or those who played the games I think will get a certain enjoyment out of it. Is it a perfect movie? No, but it's exactly what it needed to be. And I'm so excited that it's done as well as it has. So that's pretty much overall my thoughts on the on the Sonic movie. You know, it's it absolutely exceeded my expectations. I can't wait to go see it again. Um, if you guys have any thoughts, not just on the Sonic movie, but I'll, I'll hang around for another minute or so. As I said, I'm sorry I sound a little congested and whatnot. I'm still fighting the con crud. If you all like that, that's a contradiction for me is that I get sick. And what's happened to me over the last few years is that I'm either not sick at all or I borderline have to go to the hospital. There's no in between for me. Because, well, I don't think I got sick last year after Pensacon, but I may have told this story on the podcast before, but. Uh, three years ago, I went to Star Wars Celebration down in Orlando. And I slept on the convention room floor for two nights to get into the Star Wars 40th Anniversary panel, which I didn't because people cut in line and security did absolutely nothing about it. And then The Last Jedi, um, they had The Last Jedi panel and then unveiled the first trailer. Um, slept on the convention room floor that night I actually got to meet Ryan Johnson which was really cool he actually and I will always defend Ryan Johnson for this he stayed in that room all night and shook everybody's hand and thanked everyone for staying overnight to watch the trailer and go to the panel but after I got home I got extremely sick and I was sick for four days I lost my voice for three out of those four days So, you'd think eventually I would learn to maybe build up my immune system a little more. But maybe I'll do that for the next convention. But I think I'm going to wrap things up here. I want to thank you guys for joining me for this uh, special Facebook Live reviewing the Sonic movie. I was supposed to do it yesterday, but I didn't really have much of a voice, so I do apologize for doing it a little bit later. Uh, For those listening on the download, stick around For my fun interview with actress and writer Maria Lissa Caruso, and if you didn't hear the intro, if you're watching live, her very first film was a project called Emerald Run, which her and her dad co-wrote the script. But the kicker is, they started they they were brought onto the project after part of the movie had already been shot, and they were brought on to rewrite some of the script. So they had interesting limitations. And it made for a very unique story. And she it was a really fun interview, so hopefully you guys check that out. But for those who are watching live, thank you so much for joining me. For those listening on the download, stay tuned for my conversation with actress and writer Maria Lissa Caruso. Happy to be joined with my very special guest this week, writer and actress Maria Lisa Caruso. How are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you, Derek?
0: Doing good. Thank you so much for for taking the time to do this interview. I've been you're looking forward to it for the last few days, and been reading a little bit about um, about your background and excited to to talk about your film. Um, but first, I wanted to kind of get a little bit of your backstory. So. Um, where are you originally from and what how were you introduced to what we call the crazy world of filmmaking?
1: <laughs> um, so I was born and raised in San Jose, California. I actually still attend university here in Santa Clara County. And I was introduced to the project through my dad. He was brought on as the executive producer of a New writer and director had come up with the script and brought it to my dad, um, and that's that's basically how it all started. I just was a bystander on the project. I was there for auditions, um, and then I got my first role as associate producer, working on the budget because that was my first year in college and I was learning Excel. So from the skills I took from that class, I created a budget for the film. Um, and then the following year, I enrolled in screenwriting, and the previous writer had backed out of the project, so we were left with some scenes shot and only really half of a useful script because he continued developing the story and it just uh, got to nowhere. So I recreated the story with my dad, um, learned proper formatting all that, and then I wrote in a role for myself. There was mention of a daughter in the scenes that had already been shot, so I just made the daughter a little older and made her me.
0: Sounds like you got some real on-the-job training.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, just thrust in, and whatever role I could take, I forget. But
0: But that is really the best way to learn, I think, you know, because I went to college for um, really for television broadcasting, but then since has evolved into working on film. But I find that school is great for it, to learn the basics, but you really learn by doing. You know, you you learn the budget by actually doing it. You learn how to write a script by actually doing it. So it's that's the way I personally have, have always learned, is by doing. Yeah, it's the way I learn
1: best, too. I agree 100%
0: so before you were involved with emerald run did you have an interest in wanting to work in film like did did that start from an early age and then emerald run was just kind of the opportunity that you were waiting for
1: it it did start at an early age but it was never really something i thought about consciously you know as a little girl i would watch you know, the Oscars, see all the red carpet events and, you know, everyone wants to be there. I wanted to be dressed up and go uh, be on the red carpet, have my name announced, all all that great stuff. But, you know, I never really thought of it as a career until uh, high school when I decided I wanted to become a writer and I thought, you know, maybe that would be my into film, but still no, like real way of getting into the industry until it just basically
0: fell on my lap. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is it's also about the timing, you know, it, it sounded like right. the timing worked out to where, yeah, you were working on a project that was partially done, but either mm-hmm. way, getting your foot in the door is getting your foot in the door. So that's, that, that. that's a very unique thing. And that's something I find too, with talking with various directors, actors, really anybody who works in the film or TV industry is everyone has that unique path. There's no like set way to get in. So this is just, it's yeah. another, is another interesting story. That, that's, that's actually really fascinating is how, how was it working on a project that was partially completed? Like were there limitations that you guys had to work around as opposed to doing something that was completely your guys' vision?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was such a pain. I must have gone through at least a dozen rewrites on my version of the script alone because since we did have essentially half of the film shot already, everything that I wrote had to correlate with what happened um, with the scenes that we already had. So I had to maintain character names, and then there was a the matter of getting the actors back if they had to come back for the beginning and ends that I rewrote, and then some of them we couldn't get back, um, or they would be out of town. We only had three days to shoot it. We were trying to approach certain other actors to play the new roles I had written, and it didn't work out, but they wanted me to write the script specifically for them, so I did, and then they decided not to do it. And So all these different things, just making the story work out with what we already had, and then also the new things that we were trying to get when they fell through, we had to readapt to that. So yeah, it, it, it was crazy. If I had full control of this, uh, I, it definitely still would have been insane, but a lesser so because I could have felt in control versus, okay, this has to match up. We have to make sure this is one story instead of two or three as it was before. So yeah, it was definitely a challenge, but for the most part, it, it worked out. You can see the film through, and it's absolutely one story. It works together. So, but that that was definitely the hardest part, is making it
0: one. Well, kind of going off of that, from what little I've done with actual writing, it's it's kind of like, you know, you're in control of the universe that you're creating. Like it's the, essentially it's your own little playground where you can come up with your different characters, situations. You're, you're the key master. But mm-hmm. it's interesting hearing the sense that, yeah, you're kind of the key master, but you have to leave certain things in place. So it, you can make right. it as, as much of your vision as you can. So uh, it, it mm-hmm. sounds like a very, a very unique situation. But once you guys were brought on, and I know you, you're in the film as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what was it that made you think, oh, I'd love to try out acting?
1: Well, I think that was always what attracted me in the film industry was the acting portion of it. And so in high school, we were required to take two arts courses, so I took acting one and two. Um, So I I guess, you know, it's always been a sort of passion of mine. Again, not that I ever saw it as a real career, as something that I'd really pursue, but since the opportunity arose and I did have – some background in it, I I decided to take a chance.
0: Now that you've done both writing and acting, do you have a preference?
1: Definitely writing, yeah. And I think, um, well, I know that on top of that, I'd also like to pursue directing because, as you had mentioned before with the writing, you know, you're the master; you have complete control of that once the script leaves their hands and gets to the director, it's their interpretation of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why every film is labeled, you know, the director's film, a Spielberg film, you know, a script Daisy film. It's always labeled after the director because no matter what is written, it's the interpretation of it and how the actors portray the characters, how they turn around the lines, how, you know, the emotion that's brought out, how the scenes are shot. And also, you know, it, it, it really depends on, on how it's brought together versus the foundation of the story that you started. And it was hard being on set and not being the director because I, it's, I had, you know, backstories for each of the characters. I had specific intentions for them. Like I, I I knew it's like, I knew them. I grew up with them. And some of the changes that were made, I'm like, no, 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 they would never do that. You know, that's not, and it, you it, it completely depends. So definitely I was more passionate about the writing in that sense and developing the characters versus actually becoming the character. So I'd like to see them through um, in directing versus acting. But I think moving forward on my own projects, you know, I, I would still put myself in my own films, but I don't know that I'd ever go out and seek um, acting jobs.
0: You could always try out being a writer-director. Then you, then you ultimately are the key master. Exactly. Yes, that's the goal. Now, I will say that with, you know, my little bit of directing experience, it's a great feeling and also a very stressful feeling because, yes, you're ultimately in control of what goes on on set. But the downside to that is you're in control of everything that goes on set because you'll (laughs) you'll, you'll have people that, you know, come to you and will want, You know, advice on what to do, and you have to be the one to to ultimately make the decision. And you mentioning having your own interpretation of the characters—that's in some film aspects. And I've never worked on a feature, so I can't really comment on that. But I know that what little I've worked with on film, it's been very a very collaborative effort. Where yeah, you might throw out ideas, and yeah, they may or may not be used, but that. You know, it also depends on the director, too, because you have some that are very open to collaboration and there are some that say, you know, this this is my vision and this is how it's going to be. And, and rightfully so. But, you know, it, right. it's it, it, it's it's a good experience to to have. So it was and it's my understanding that was this your first film that you had you'd ever worked on completely? Yeah,
1: any film ever. Yeah, this was my first. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. That, that's a heck of a way to get introduced.
1: Yeah it 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 was a time good good long three
0: years. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's a crazy process. Um, how yeah. how was it you know working with because you you wrote the script with your dad? How was yeah. that? Because you you don't hear of too many, I think parent child working relationships when it comes to writing at least you know from what I'm aware of. So. How, how was the process of, you know, of working with your dad? Was it a good like bonding experience with you two?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, my dad and I we've we've always got along. We're you know we're very family oriented. All of us. I have four brothers, so I'm I, I'm the middle child. Um, I've always you know been surrounded by family, so it wasn't out of place at all to be working with my dad. And I mean we definitely got into arguments because like I said, I was very like I, I had specific intentions for each of the characters and everything. So if we disagreed, you know, we disagreed. But that was the good thing about being family too, because you know, no matter what happened, we we knew our intentions were good and we'd still make it out at the end of the day. But but for the most part, no, we worked really, really well together. So if he if he had an idea for the story, we developed it together, we just go off of each other. Um, you know, in creating a new character or in uh, action scene or whatever, whatever had to happen, we just bounced off and, and and it worked out. It became one, and yeah, no, it was good. We we worked well. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. Because I, I know of so many people who would probably not work very well in that situation together, but it, it's great to hear that that you guys did. So, what once production of Emerald Run wrapped up. I know it's been making a, a festival run, which I wanted to mention that you actually won uh, Best Supporting Actress from the uh, Milan International Filmmaker Festival. Um, so, and, Go ahead. Yeah, and just, again, from the
1: London International Film Festival. Yes. We fa- just got back two days
0: ago. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, ha- how has the reception been to Emerald Run and... What was your reaction when you you know received the accolades that you did?
1: Well, getting the awards both times was such a shock, especially the second, because right before the announcement, I turned to my mom and I said, "You know, there there's no way that I'm getting it because I already got it once. So this is very much just a formality." But it's nice to be here in London, you know. Um, but I mean, I I even said it in my speech. I I, just every time I see Emerald Run, I'm I'm constantly reminded of all the mistakes I made. And, you know, just this was my first film, so like really amateur things. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the director told me not to run away from the camera. And you think, (laughs) as an actor, that's just an instinct, you know, like you have to face the camera. And uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, as the character, I just like turned in on myself. I don't know how that works, but I mean, I, I wrote the script, right? I wrote the character for myself. I based the character off myself. And still, so I would trip up on the same one line. I just forget um, my own words. Um, but again, this all happened after a full night. I stayed up because it was the night before, you know, my most intense theme ride to show my illness. Um, and so I, I was preparing for that. Just I, I remember I was up until three in the morning just working myself the point of fever and nausea and and then so that way the next morning i woke up and i had a fever uh, i had the migraine and the lack of appetite so mimicking the symptoms of my character so there was definitely a method in all this um but the fact that the method outweighed the managed and that's what the audience sees (laughs) versus what i see um that's definitely rewarding to know that I, i did the project proud yeah
0: well, it's awesome that especially after, you know, what you just mentioned putting putting yourself through what you did for the project, to be rewarded for that is is great. And and I'm, yeah. and I'm sure that, you know, you mentioned Emerald Run being your first film and you can see the mistakes and you can see the flaws, but I can imagine that it will always have like it'll always be special to you because it was your first film.
1: Yeah, definitely. This was just incredible learning experience uh, just to be, and I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, that that's really what it was. Like it, it did take so much time, but so many other films take so much longer. So the fact that not only we went through all these rewrites, but that we were able to work ourselves up and make the through, you know, the different roles that I picked up along the way, it, it, it was a whole process. And 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 it's coming to a successful conclusion, so I'm I'm really
0: really happy with it. Yeah. Absolutely. So as we start to wrap up here, uh, what's oh, next for you? Do you uh, have any projects in the works? You know, by yourself? Do you have any collaborations coming up with your dad? Do you have what what's next for Maria Lissa Caruso?
1: Yeah. So I definitely have. Plenty of stories in the works. Since my junior year of high school, I've been keeping a little notebook of um, different experiences I have. So even if someone just says the, slight, the slightest thing or I see something, just it takes one single moment and I can just imagine it as it happened, as I wish I had, it had happened, as I'm glad it didn't happen. I can just create a whole new story off of it. So as a result of all those little notes and taking, I have specific ideas for novels, short stories, other artistic or creative writings, poems. I have a couple movies, one that I'm working on um my my own and then another that I want to work with my dad um from some of his stories from childhood and, and his friends um too. So yeah, there's definitely a lot in the work for sure.
0: Well, the cool thing is, it sounds like you've got a good variety of things, so you're not, you know, you're breaking up the monotony of doing just like a script after script after script. You mentioned novel and everything else is that that's really cool.
1: Absolutely, cool. yeah. Everything has everything has its specific intention as it's meant to be experienced or felt. You know, there's certain things that work better with the visual media um, versus a written and read textual media. Yeah, definitely symbolism or just uh, slight inclinations. Every every single thing has an intention, for sure. Yeah, they have to be presented in a certain way. That's how my mind works,
0: I guess. (laughs) Right. No, no, absolutely. Normally, uh, this is the point of the show where I ask for my guests to give advice to aspiring filmmakers, but in your case, Mm -hmm. since you just wrapped your first film, I'm going to change up the question a bit. If you could go back in time... And tell yourself before you made Emerald Run one piece of advice. What what would what would that be?
1: Oh man, I don't know. I would have preferred the original question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I don't know. Just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been, like I've been preparing for it for a while. The long nights and just the different, just, yeah, just be ready. There's a lot that's going to go on and, you know, it'll be a uphill battle, but you'll take it and you'll make it out. So yeah, just be prepared. It's going to happen.
0: No, I think that's good advice. And last question, do you have a website or a social media, anything you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow your work?
1: Um, I personally don't. I'm not big on social media though, that likely going to change after this Um, but the film does so we're on Facebook Emerald Run the Movie Um, our production company also has an Instagram so Magnificat Media Production LLC and you can uh, watch me for my works on IMDb I'm up there
0: Fantastic well thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview and look forward to uh, hearing seeing and reading your future work
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, really.
0: Thanks again to Maria Lisa Caruso, and thank you to those who watched on Facebook Live for my review of Sonic the Hedgehog. For next week's show, episode 250, is the return of Defending Bad Movies. You'll be hearing the audio from this year's Pensacon as we defend more bad movies on Defending Bad Movies to The Revenge. This was, to me, much better than last year, and last year's was great. But this year was so funny, so fun. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. That will be on next week's episode. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on all podcasting platforms, as well as YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And thank you, as always, to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out their latest hits, on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Again, I apologize for sounding a little bit under the weather. You won't notice that for next week's show. And hopefully in two weeks, my voice will be back to normal. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.